Thank you for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson, produced by Surefire Local. Over 50,000 people have listened to Mark's podcast series specifically for home improvement businesses. You can subscribe to this podcast on any mobile phone using iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that's designed to help you think about and reflect on your business. What I do is take different topics that I think are relevant, important things I see out in the industry that really will be able to help you, I think, improve and take your business to the next level. The topic I want to get into today is a little bit more indirect. It's a little bit more personal, but I think has a tremendous effect on your health and success in the business. And it's talking about stress the stress within the business, and certainly your stress. I oftentimes, as a speaker, ask audiences, are you feeling a lot of stress? You know, are you overwhelmed? Are you juggling so many balls that you feel like you're a little bit out of control? And the reality is that today more than ever, I think people are feeling a higher degree of stress than ever before. Even though I think for the most part, times are quite positive in terms of remodeling activity, the level of overwhelm that exists, I think, is really quite great. I actually started to think about this subject back in the early 90s, and I had a radio show, and occasionally I used to bring a psychologist on to talk about what it's like to live through, from a homeowner's perspective, uh, a, a remodeling project. And it was interesting, the fellow used to talk about sort of anxiety and stress, and he talked about the overwhelm, overwhelm of the decisions. He talked about the fears the fears of the unknown or making mistake. And all these things sort of cumulatively added up to a degree of stress that really made home remodeling and living through home remodeling quite stressful. So I reflected more on that and started to watch that within team members and certainly other colleagues in the industry. I really saw the effect of stress and the importance, quite frankly, of controlling stress. You know, if you really sort of drill in and try to be a little bit more a student of this subject and ask yourself, why is it really different? Why is it more stressful today, say, than it was 15 or 20 years ago? Harvard actually did an interesting study a few years ago, and they said in a recent three-year period of time, more products been developed for home improvement than the last 100 years. And that really, really was an aha for me in that if you sort of reflect back to 20, 30 years ago for those that were around, you know, the amount of choices when it came to home improvement, what you needed to know in terms of home improvement was really much, much different than it is today. Also today, you have, I think, the technologies. The technologies in terms of the internet has created, I think, a transparency that's created actually more stress, I think, for the professional, not less. Your homeowners, your clients today know more in many cases about the products than you do because of the internet. They know more about pricing than you do because of the internet. But they also even know more about you because of the level of transparency that's out there than oftentimes you. So you have to, I think, be on edge in terms of your reputation today. 
homeowners also today, I think, have an expectation that's really, really much greater. They're experiencing, I think, many things when it comes to their home and their lives in terms of speed and expectation, same-day deliveries, access to information, access to products and services, access to reviews, all these kind of things they have access to immediately that creates, I think, the number of uh, a higher degree of stress. So I think with all of this, the same degree of stress, I think layered coming maybe from the homeowner or coming from your team, I think is overlaid certainly on you as well. So the key to this is not so much does it exist or not, because at the end of the day, you're not going to crawl under a rock and say, okay, I'm just going to give up. There are some very specific techniques that I've certainly used for myself and certainly in coaching others, I think that helps you with this. I'm going to walk you through five techniques. These are kind of simple. I would encourage you on this podcast, if you think these are valuable, maybe to listen to it again and jot down a few notes or feel free to forward this to someone that you feel is a little bit stressed out and might benefit from some of these techniques. The first one is my positive and negative list. About once a month, uh, I do a list, a list of all the positive things and all the negative things in my life. I was actually shared this technique quite a few years ago from a friend, and they said, you know, it's really interesting how it makes you feel after you do this little exercise. The exercise only takes about five minutes to do. You do a brain dump of all the positive things, and these are personal and professional things, whether they're related to financial, whether related to your family, whether related to design, your work, or whatever it happens to be, innovation, whatever those things are that are just sort of words that describe the positive things in your life, then all the negative things could be negative relative to an issue or challenge that you're having or a, a pain that you're having, that kind of thing. What I find interesting with the exercise is really this. Whenever I do it, whenever I coach others to do it, almost all the time, the list of positives are substantially greater than the list of negatives. In my case, I usually have a list of somewhere between 10 and 15 positives and usually one to three negatives. And the reason that this is helpful as a stress sort of relief is that all of a sudden you're looking at this list and you're saying, wow, I need to get over myself. I need to realize this one or two little things that is pulling me down should not affect all the positive things. So number two. A big, big stress reliever, I think, for many, and obviously I've written, I've talked about this subject so much, is time mastery and managing your time and planning your day, then working your day rather than just reacting. You know, the planning process, just like it is with a remodeling project or anything else, is so critical so that you can think more clearly, you can make sure that you're hitting the milestones, but you need to do that same exercise for yourself. Many people think a to-do list is a plan. It's not. It's a to-do list. It's no different than if you're building a deck one of the items is build deck. It's just something that you're going to do. It's not a flow chart. It's not a material list. It's not a detail hour by hour, blow by blow of what the expectation is by the end of the day. 
I think when it comes to planning, if you can develop the discipline to create a daily plan for yourself, then work the plan and monitor it throughout the day, you're going to find your stress level starts to go down. It's going to take a little bit of time, but it's going to go down. Now, I've developed some time mastery uh, techniques. I've developed some time mastery podcasts that you're certainly welcome to, workbooks, those kind of things. You're certainly welcome to have access to that if, if you think it would help. Number three, which sort of relates to the planning, but it's a little bit more specific. And that is, if you want to reduce stress, reduce the amount of reactive activity. Now, I've actually studied this and asked literally thousands of people the question, what percentage of your day is proactive that you control versus reactive that others control? Generally speaking, the ideal place for most people to be is about 80% proactive and 20% reactive. Now, this is going to vary a little bit depending on your role, but if you're involved in sales or you're involved in leadership or you're involved in production, that's generally where you want to try to get to. Now, the key to getting there is focusing on the sources of reactive activity. Now, there are three primary sources that, at least from what I've studied, represent probably two-thirds or more of the reactive activity. One of them is your clients. Two of the second is your coworkers or your, your your team members, and the three is your family. Now the techniques that you use sort of overlap between all of these three, but you got to realize these are the primary three sources of the reactive activity. It's clients calling you with a little issue or a fire. It's thinking about something and then you drop something to react to what their question or the issue is. It's a coworker that interrupts you because they've got a challenge or issue. All these things sort of add up. And if in fact you have a lot of these throughout your day, it creates a level of stress, I think that keeps you out of control. So let's just drill into a couple of the items here. And I think it'll help you with some of the techniques. Number one is on your clients. Most people have a very defined number of clients, clients that they're working with uh, in design or in sales, clients they're working with in production, or maybe clients they're working with in post-production or warranty. So try to quantify Monday morning the list of all these clients. So say, for example, you have 10 clients that fall into one of those three categories. So carve out 30 minutes Monday morning to proactively communicate to each one of those clients. In some cases, it might be just a hello, was thinking about you, hope you had a nice weekend. In other cases, it might be setting an appointment to talk about their project or their issue. In other cases, it might be proactively trying to get in their head a little bit of what they're thinking about that week when it comes to the project. Now, by Proactively communicating, what you're doing is shifting the level of control when it comes to that group of clients. And while you're not going to eliminate the reactivity, you're going to reduce it dramatically. The second, I think, area that I can give you in terms of a tip, as I said, is your team or your coworkers. See, we tend to confuse, I think, dropping what you're doing and helping someone as being the most positive way. Truth of the matter is, oftentimes you're a little bit impatient in terms of how you're approaching someone's question. You're a little bit frustrated because they threw you off your game or whatever you're working on. So moving forward, as people interrupt you throughout the day, whether it's an email or whether it's a text or whether it's grabbing you and asking you a question, 
try to, rather than immediately reacting to their question, unless, of course, you're just sitting there, you have nothing to do, try to set a time a little bit later in the day that you're going to address their question. So if 11 o'clock, someone interrupts you and they say, I have a good question about the specification on this window, ask them, would it be okay, John, if I followed up with you at 1 o'clock on this, where I've got a little bit of a block of time, I can focus on it. One of three things are going to happen. They're going to say, yes, that would be fine. And they're going to set that 5, 10, 20 minutes, whatever it takes to focus on it then. B, no, it's a fire. I got to have it immediately. Or C, they're going to end up solving it themselves. So two-thirds of those are going to end up being vaporized or you're going to end up controlling. So the second technique, again, is focused, or third technique, is focused on shifting some of these reactive activities to proactive activities. The number four technique that I use for myself is questions. You know, if you don't know the answers, at least ask yourself some questions. And questions are pretty powerful things. So when it comes to feeling a little bit stressed and thinking about why am I feeling stressed, I oftentimes ask a series of questions that help me to see this stress sort of shift and vaporize. The first is, what's the worst thing that can happen in this situation? Nine times out of 10 or even 95 times out of 100, the worst thing that can happen is not that bad. So asking yourself that question and trying to identify if I don't necessarily get this right or if in fact this delivery is wrong or if in fact this happens, the worst thing that can happen is maybe I'm disappointed, the client's disappointed, but it's not an awful, awful thing. The second question um, is that uh, really I ask myself when I'm feeling a degree of stress and tension in terms of communication is I ask myself what is the most effective way, effective way to communicate this. One mistake I think people make, and oftentimes it's a result of emails, is they oftentimes lash out back and forth, and that just creates a level of stress. So what I want you to do, before you push the send button, I want you to say, is this the most effective way to communicate? Should I, for example, get out of my chair and walk across the hall? Should I send the person a note? Should I sort of tone it down and just suggest that we have a conversation about this rather than be stressful. And then third question I oftentimes ask myself, if I'm feeling anxiety and stress, is there someone I can talk to about this? You know, more times than not, just talking to someone else, not necessarily your your boss or even a family member, by talking to someone else, it helps you to process and think through and vaporize some of the stress. The fifth technique I use is what I call my stress clouds. Now, this is more of a visual technique. I've written about this technique. I've talked about this technique. But I want to try to give it to you in this podcast because it really is a very powerful stress relief valve. I call it my stress clouds because what I do is I start to think about stress as being like clouds out there that block the sun from coming in. And so if you visually sort of draw a little stick person and that's you, and then you start to draw those three to five to seven stress clouds out there in your life, you can start to realize if there's a whole bunch of those, they're going to block the sun from coming in. It's not going to make it a real happy day. 
So what you need to do is identify what those clouds are. It could be overwhelm of a project, a deadline. It could be a closing of something. It could be a fire. It could be an issue with a particular personal relationship or professional relationship. Whatever those things are, try to identify what they are. Then what I generally do is I'll make a list of usually one to three action items for each one of those that I believe will help to reduce or vaporize that cloud a bit. By writing down those, then I can incorporate those into my daily and weekly plan. Just by the act of moving something to something I can control immediately affects how I'm feeling and the level of stress. So I want to thank everybody, certainly for taking the time and listening to this particular subject and podcast. You know, it happens to be one of these things, quite frankly, a little bit softer, not about business strategy or closing techniques or the remodeling environment, but it is a really, really important topic. And I encourage you, if you have challenges to this issue, try to go back to some of the other podcasts that I've done that relate to mastery of time and success habits and some of those things that are help you, I think, take your game to the next level. Take care, everyone. I want to thank everybody for listening to Remodeling Mastery, but just as much I want to thank those that support this particular series. Now, first and foremost, I want to encourage you not just to listen, but to subscribe. And for those people that subscribe to this podcast or actually reach out to my producers, Surefire, a leading digital marketing organization, you'll actually receive a copy of one of my books that will help you take your business to the next level. This podcast series is actually supported by Professional Remodeler. Professional Remodeler is committed to help you understand and crack the code on your business. So I encourage you to try to spend the time reading the magazine and reach out to them and be a little bit more of a voice in the industry. I also encourage you to get involved, get engaged. The National Association of Remodeling Industry, NERI, is a wonderful organization that I've been involved with with most of my career and actually had so many opportunities as a result of that. And lastly, certainly reach out to my friends at Surefire Local that'll be able to help Help you with your business. Welcome back. I'm your host, Mark Richardson. And today we're moving into a topic and a conversation I'm very excited about. It's one of our thought leaders, certainly thought leaders that have joined me on different organizations and boards. Rick Weist, who's the CEO of Thompson Creek. They are exterior remodeling specialists, primarily focused on kind of the window and gutter space. But we're going to be talking with Rick in a moment. But I want, you know, our listeners to really understand kind of the goals and purpose of these thought leader interviews. You know, you will see from the scale of the businesses that they've grown that, you know, it's not so much about the size of the business because you'll find a lot of parallels to what you're doing. It's really more in the thinking. It's in the process. And if you can focus on the right things, everyone, I think, can grow a very successful business. So, Rick, welcome to uh, Remodeling Mastery, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Mark. It's good to be here. So why don't we kind of, since you have a little bit of gray hair, certainly uh, less than I have, but a little bit of gray hair, you've seen a lot of changes in the industry over the course of the last 10 or 20 years. Why don't we start there? Things are moving so fast out there that I think people don't really appreciate, you know, how much has fundamentally changed. So what are some of the changes that you've seen in the industry in the last 10 or 20 years? 
Well, I appreciate the gray hair comment, <laughs> and it it, uh, it doesn't seem like uh, like that long that I've been in the business, but uh, you and I have been uh, kicking around here for a long time doing this, and, um, and you're absolutely right. There's been a, an awful lot that has changed, and it feels like the pace of change is accelerating, and I think that um, you know that's true not just in in our field, but uh, but in, but in every field, when I think back 20 years ago, uh, you know, my gosh, that's, uh, that's about the time where we had our big change um, uh, when Thompson Creek began to uh, sell to homeowners. And we had to learn sales and marketing. This wasn't something that was a core competency of ours um, that long ago. So um, when I got into retailing uh, and, and selling directly to the consumer, uh, we didn't start out as a telemarketing firm. A lot of the companies back then, that was the primary lead driver. Uh, you watch... Uh, uh, Movies like Tin Men and things like that. Uh, those were a lot of the techniques that were used to uh, to, to generate leads. And the first uh, first marketing efforts that I did when I decided we were going to sell directly to consumers, I took a dollar bill size page uh, or ad out in the phone book. You know, I remember when wow. we started making our investments in phone books, and that was that was like a big lead driver for us. And and you know, the debate about whether to pay for color ads or not was uh, was the conversation. So yeah, things have changed dramatically. Well, you know, the speed issue, I think, is also something other thought leaders have really highlighted because, you know, I think back even as far as the early 80s and, you know, we had five or 10 years to adjust and then we get up in the 90s when we had, you know, three or four years or five years to adjust. It seems like things are happening so fast right now. I mean, we've got a week or two to adjust. Any comments on how to get your head around that, 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 that speed and any tips to that? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a master of that or not, or whether Thompson Creek has figured that out. Uh, it, it does happen fast, and you know, I mean, I think back to uh, to, to when we had our first web page and and now how fast we're, we're monitoring and making changes and trying to keep up for uh, um, you know making sure that we're able to be um, optimized as best we could so you know it's it, it things do change very fast but um, and Charles Darwin figured it out a long time ago it's not the strongest of a species more than most or nor the most intelligent that survive it's the one that's best able to adapt and so um, you know I don't think we can we can ever have the the funds and the time to keep up with, um, you know, the, all the paces of change. You just do the best that you can in the different areas and decide, um, you know, what you're going to be really good at in terms of, you know, it's mostly in terms of, of lead generation that we talk about uh, these changes in technology, but, but, you know, there are things available as sales tools and um, uh, measuring tools and using technology in, in, in all areas of our business that you know, I go and see these demos and you're like, I want it all. I want it now. Um, you got to be careful because you can't move too fast. That can be too disruptive to the organization and actually set you back. So you know, it's about picking and choosing what what you're going to implement, how you're going to implement, and making sure that you you stay focused on getting it over the finish line. You know, whatever that uh, that that change or that adaptation uh, that you're working on in the moment, I think uh, is, and that's 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 kind of how we've approached it. Uh, you know, my, my people will say that uh, they, they call me the shiny object guy because I see this, this new thing and I come running into the office or every time I go to a, a, a seminar or a show, I'll, I'll come back with seven ideas and they're like, no, don't, <laughs> we, we can't take any more right now. We're still trying to digest the last changes that you brought back. Um, and I, I've got to be cognizant of that. And I am, uh, but it doesn't mean that I'm not, um, 
um, and that I don't sometimes get impatient and 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 covet those uh, those new technologies that are available for us and things that I know would help our business. It's just you can't quite always move as fast as you want to. Right. One of the metaphors I know that I kind of latched onto in in our business many years ago and kind of used it as a as a way at least to create some communication with our team is that we really wanted to be in the way. We didn't want to be ahead of it. We didn't want to be behind of it. And I think you know those that kind of watch the ways out there. You know that's where the real force is 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 to try to be in a, 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 a you know in it and really have that, not have it be ahead and then end up crashing mm-hmm. on you or behind and losing all of the, the strength to, and, and momentum. But, but let's talk, Rick, a little bit more about you. How did, how did Rick Weiss get into this business? <laughs> well, my story starts when I was a, a 12-year-old boy living in Rochester, New York. My, um, my Mother and father decided that they wanted to pursue the American dream and start a vinyl window manufacturing company. And um, so they moved our family from Rochester, New York, down to Annapolis, Maryland. A brother and I got loaded up in a station wagon, and they started this window-making factory. And it was energy-efficient windows, which were uh, in response to the energy crisis of the 70s. So it was a pretty good play. Originally, the um, market focus was home improvement contractors and uh, lumber yards and building supply centers. So we were a business-to-business window manufacturer. My first job was sweeping floors, and to save money in, in our first year of business, we actually lived in the window factory. So I literally grew up in the business. And, wow. Uh, yeah, but it wasn't a home improvement business. Very humbling. Early, right? <laughs> well, you you know you you learn you learn an awful lot when you're actually down there on the shop floor and and, and working up through the business. You know, learning to be. When I got my driver's license, I became the the uh, service man and then a window installer. Um, and then you know graduated college and I was the sales manager of me I was manager of one because it was always a small family lifestyle business. Uh, I don't think we ever had revenues above million dollars uh, in all those early years. And we went Thompson Creek Window Company at the time. We were a Mid-Atlantic Corporation. Um, that was uh, somewhat a, a generic name, but, uh, you know, we're in the Tell middle of Tell us about Mid-Atlantic. Thompson Creek. It's such a unique yeah. name, and, you know, it, it's one living in the Washington, D.C. area. I can tell you it for everyone listening to this, it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a brand that not only really resonates for people just as a name, but it also very much represents, I think, uh, you know, quality and integrity. And, you know, it, 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 it just has served you very well, but where did, where did Thompson Creek come from? Cause cer- certainly not, not kind of combined in, in, in the Weast name. No. Uh, so in the year 2000, uh, I took over the company from my father and, uh, uh, decided that uh, we were going to change our market focus and we were going to um, pivot from a business-to-business model to a business-to-consumer. So we were already building windows and we're already installing windows. So, hey, all we got to do is sell them. And, uh, you know, we can we can cut out the middleman and deliver more value directly to our customers. So it seemed like a good idea. But I knew that Midlantic Corporation wasn't wasn't that consumer facing brand that uh, that was going to get traction. So I I started racking my brain for months. Uh, you know, what are we going to call this new company? How are we going to rebrand it? How are we going to have a something that's going to have a um, a more enduring customer facing feel, color, texture, tone, all of that? And I just made this long list. And I remember um, talking to my colleagues, my friends, you know, with these lists going, hey, what do you think of this name? What do you think of that name? And it was these generic window solutions, uh, you know, uh, uh, windows on the bay, you know, it's, and it's lots of things that, that, that felt like they were specific to, 
to what we were doing at the time, which was manufacturing and installing windows, but didn't really have a soul, didn't have a, a feel. Now, um, we had bought a building uh, that we moved our manufacturing plant to in, in 1997. And so we were occupying this building and it happened to be on Thompson Creek Road, uh, which was on the eastern shore of Maryland. And I loved going to work there. Every time I'd pull into the, into the building in the parking lot, uh, you'd, you'd hear the geese flying overhead. And it just had this peaceful feeling to me. And my drive to work, I'd drive over the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, and I love the water, and I love the bay, and you see the sun coming up. And I think there was just this, this feeling of comfort that, that the name brought to me. And I kept going back to Thompson Creek Window Company, Thompson Creek Window Company. So we created a, an image and a logo that was uh, sort of an arched window looking out over a creek with some green and some blue and, you know, some trees there. And it just, it kept coming back to it. This is it. This feels right. And that's how it happened. That's that's how we selected the name. Wow. You know, it's a wonderful yeah. story. And, and, you know, and I think you, you hit on it. It's a name with real soul. And it's also a name that, you know, that you can get people to kind of rally around it and feel a degree of pride. Matter of fact, uh, one of your one of your uh, 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 core values or one of your themes is is house proud, which maybe you can touch on that. And I, I've always loved that. It's really resonated for me. How did how did where did that come from? Well, I'll tell you. And before we move to that, uh, one other unintended consequence that was a, a great value to us in the name Thompson Creek was that there are no other Thompson Creek window companies across the country. So when we when we went to get intellectual property or when we go to trademark things or when we you know even websites and, and names like that, we don't run into problems. Uh, you know, they're, they're, it's, a, it's a wide open space. So the only other Thompson Creek out there is a metals company that's up in Canada, a mining. Company. Company. So, you know, it really um, that that worked out well. So, you know, it's just a, Excellent. Uh, something to think about in naming. So, um, I'm sorry, you were asking about House Proud. The, oh, one of your yeah, themes, sure. I think, <laughs> it just really resonates, and I think not only certainly to you know your client, but certainly yeah. to you know your team as well. So back to you know the, the the power of a name and the value and the feeling in a, in a name. When we um, uh, as we were growing. Uh, realized that, um, you know, that we had a lot of new people coming into the company, a lot of new managers, and I don't think we were as aligned around our what our, what, defining what our culture was and why, what our purpose and mission were. And I hadn't done all that legwork uh, early days of the business. So I pulled my leadership team together and we, we sat down and we said, you know, we want to make sure that we, we, we understand what our brand essence is, what that really should mean to our customers and what that value is. And um, House Proud is a, a bit of a quirky expression, but it's meant to fe- it's, it's meant to mean and it means to us, it's a feeling that a homeowner gets um, when, when, they, when they come home and they, um, you know, when, for us, it's when they deal with Thompson Creek and they have our products installed in their home and they're proud. They're so proud of, of their investment you know that they're that they're uh, they can't help but tell their friends and neighbors about it. So um, that word had been something that that uh, uh, really it was a customer of mine that used to um, buy windows from us way back when as Midlanta Corporation. He was a he was a, uh, um, he was a home improvement contractor and he was a canvasser. And he would generate his business by driving around neighborhoods uh, and he'd say he always looked for the home that had the uh, the really well kept garden. And the nice fence, and and had the windows that weren't yet up to speed. And he'd knock on the door, and he'd say, "Hey, Mrs. So and So, I can see you're a house proud woman, and uh, you know I, I've got this product that I think might uh, might really help to accentuate your home a little more." And I, I always loved the way that expression sounded, and so we borrowed that. 
uh, when we started writing our mission statement. And the essence of our mission is to create that house proud customer, that house proud experience. And so that's where that came from. And uh, it's, it's something that, uh, well, that now we stick on a wall I and it works you, well. You really hit a, a great nerve with it. I've, I've heard other people grab a hold of, you know, particular kind of language in terms of when I walk up to my home, I want you to smile. And, you know, I, I, I think that notion of pride in your home is, mm-hmm. you know, I think it, it, it really kind of differentiates you. So I think it's excellent. Now, talk it is, to and we could turn that bit. coin over. We could turn that coin on the other side too and talk about our internal culture of Creek Proud, um, which is kind of fun because it gives you it gives you that versatility, the flexibility to have that that anchor in the pride, but you can have it you can have it work both ways. Um, so it helps us with our with our mission, our Love values it. and with our yeah, culture. Go ahead. So Tell me a little bit more or share with our listeners a little bit more about your business model itself because I, I and, and not only what it is, but kind of the why behind it because I think it's kind of a unique approach certainly for, you know, the remodeling community that's really just used to being out there being kind of client facing, focused on marketing and just selling and installing other people's products. Yeah, so our, well, our business model, we, we, we sort of backed into it, right? Because we started as a manufacturing company with all the disciplines that come with, with, with that and, uh, and the simplicity sort of of being able to just do one thing. And then we added the manufacturing. And in, in window and door uh, specialty remodelers and exterior remodelers, you usually have um, – you've, you've got two camps. You've either got the, the manufacturers that provide installation services for people, and then you've got the sales and marketing companies that, that go out and prospect – and, and write contracts and then turn it over to their uh, supplier, manufacturer, installer partners. Um, so we're a little unique in that we do both. We do both sides of that, all four disciplines. We've got to be good at marketing and sales. Um, we've got to have the operation side of the business, the manufacturing, and the installation. And it adds a layer of complexity, but it also gives us a pretty unique uh, selling proposition. And uh, that's the reason that we really love the idea that we can control the whole process, including the quality of the manufacturer and the raw materials that go into it, and uh, really tell a story that's somewhat unique when we walk into the home. Uh, certainly separates us from the majority of the companies that are out there. Excellent. So let looking out now kind of a little bit more to the future and, you know, kind of what what has you tossing and turning? Is it really more the potential opportunities out there? Is it really more the potential headwinds or threats that are out there? What what keeps you up at night? Yeah, great question, Mark. Um, I'll tell you, I sleep pretty good at night, <laughs> and for the most part. Uh, the things that that I don't worry about are the things that I can't control. Right. So I know that there's going to be economic headwinds, right? There's going to be economic tailwinds. I, I can't do anything about that. And I don't know much that we can do in our business other than expect that it's going to come and it's going to go. Um, what I what I find myself thinking more about uh, when I do lay in bed is what opportunities are out there and what, um, you know, w- what we can do to adapt to the changes in the world faster, What how the world is changing and how we need to think about it. And it, it really... Um, uh, dovetails with the conversation that we were having earlier about just pace of change. Uh, you know, it's, it keeps happening. So I'm thinking about how to create more efficient business processes or, or how to take that, that piece of technology that I just learned about and make it uh, applicable. I mean, those are the kinds of problem solving uh, that, I, that I find myself thinking about more. And maybe it's not a problem that's, that's causing pain right now, but it's, uh, you know, problem solving from the aspect of, 
there's an opportunity here and maybe we're not leveraging it as much as we could. So what can we do or how can I change a process or how can I, right. how can I change something in manufacturing that might have this, this fantastic value to a customer that they're not really thinking about? And that's, that's where my head goes at night. Well, and I think what you're saying is not only, you know, helping people get perspective of, you know, who you are in a successful way of looking at it, but I, I, I think it's, it's also very, very consistent with other successful people. I know one of the ones that's, a, you know, a friend of ours, Brian, a mutual friend of ours, Brian Elias, I'll never forget him saying that, you know, during the 2008, 2009 in Detroit, that that uh, during the recession, they they chose not to participate. And that doesn't mean that you kind of turn away from it. What it means is if you are totally focused of why you're not succeeding because of the environment and not be, not putting your energy on how you can be more successful, uh, I, I think you're going to fall short. So I think that's uh, that's you know, really, really healthy perspective. So moving, moving kind of to the lap final leg of our, our little chat today, Rick, you know, there's a lot of people out here that listen to this uh, podcast series that, you know, that much smaller companies or companies like, you know, hopefully a little further than when you, you had to sleep in the factory, but that, that they're smaller <laughs> companies. And, uh, you know, what, what sort of advice would you give a, you know, one to $5 million company out there today, kind of, you know, out there in these stormy waters and, and, and certainly fast moving times. Yeah. Well, you know, look, if you, if you're out there running a one to $5 million business, you're doing something right. Uh, you, you know, the numbers, most, most businesses, most, uh, entrepreneurs fail in the first year. Um, the majority of them anyway. So, you know, if they're out there running businesses, they're doing, they're doing something right. They're, they're probably smart. They know, they know their operations They know their business they are paying attention to the details. You know, they're doing all the things that, that, that you need to, to, to be successful at that level. Um, and, if we're talking about scale, the, the, the question that, that I get asked is why? Why do you want to grow? You know, you're doing fine, right? You're doing good. Why do you want to grow? Why do you want to get bigger? And if your why is right, then, then you got the next ingredient. You know, if it's I want to make more money, well, that's probably not going to be enough to, to, to get it done. <laughs> you're going to, going to probably have some issues there. But understand, you know, what it is. For me, it's about just seeing how far I can go. I know that one day, um, you know, I'm not going to be here or I'm going to be, you know, my, on my deathbed and thinking back, you know, what you do with your life, Rick. Um, so I, I, I like pushing myself and I love challenging myself. So I just want to see you know, how big we can make this company and how successful we can do it, how many opportunities we can create. Then I well, think the I next think step is, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. So then, then the next step is really the tricky one, which is you got to hire good people. You got to entrust them to do to do the things that you were doing the way you were doing them, right? So and 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 they're not going to do them the same way as you. So you've got to be able to delegate and let people do their job, but you can't abdicate, which means you got to let let them do their job, do it their way, but they've got to get the outcomes that you've agreed on. You know, so they can't, they can't, uh, uh, you know, take a task that you used to do and maybe say, you know, they were doing it a little bit differently. Um, you got to give them the, the, the latitude to, to, to do their job, not micromanage that, but you got to stay on top of it and make sure that the outcomes are consistent with what the business needs. So that, that whole point of delegation, not abdication, I think is something that took me a little while to figure out because I've been guilty of delegating and then walking away and going, hey, wait a minute, it didn't happen, not my fault. 
Well, it is my fault. I wasn't on top of it. And that's where I see people trying to scale and fail. Uh, it's either they, they, they hire people, but then they micromanage them and run them out of the business, or they, uh, they um, hire the wrong people. They, ab- they delegate, and then they abdicate responsibility, and they see problems there. So I'd say be careful on that and focus on the culture as you grow because that's the other thing that can get loose on you. Yeah, I think that's excellent advice. And, you know, to your, your point too, Rick, is everyone has their own why. And what I've found in, you know, having led an organization for so many years, I always thought, okay, well, what a business should care about and the motivation should be the same. And now that I've been out there touching some of the most successful businesses out there. I see, you know, very, very diverse motivations. In some cases, it's about the investment. In some cases, it's about creating a legacy. In other cases, you know, it may be more about just fulfilling even your own personal ego. I'm not here yeah. to judge what your why is, but to your point, determine what your why is and what kind of really fires you and then model the business growth off that. And I think that's excellent, excellent advice. So any final comments or final words for our listeners? This has been fantastic, Rick. I know. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed the time. And uh, i got to tell you, just really optimistic about where we are uh, in, in terms of the business environment right now. It feels like it's been a real strong start to the year. Uh, last year finished up real good. You know, everybody's talking about there's somewhere down the road the uh, the shoe's gonna fall we got election year coming up next year but uh, I'm not interested in hearing any of that we're just gonna keep on trucking and uh, I hope everybody that's listening uh, does the same let's let's ignore it and I always say you know what when that news gets too bad and I remember that from 2008 and 2009 I told everybody turn off CNN and turn on ESPN if you need to watch TV but you quit watching that news all it's gonna do is drag you down there's plenty of opportunity out there let's go get it Great, great advice. And again, I want to thank uh, Rick Weiss, is the CEO of Thompson Creek. They specialize in exterior remodeling with the uh, primarily as a window and installer manufacturer, but also with siding and gutters and other products. So uh, again, I'd encourage you uh, to reach out to Rick through Thompson Creek or certainly through uh, through me at the Remodeling Mastery Broadcast Series. And, and I uh, look forward to uh, speaking to you soon. Take care, everyone. If you liked what you've heard, take a moment to subscribe to Remodeling Mastery on your phone using your favorite podcast app. Available in all the major apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Go ahead and post in the comments what you learned and any questions you have for Mark, and he may answer them on an upcoming episode. Thank you again for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson.